0: Done. You are listening to Chinese Ish, an SBS podcast about young Chinese Australians for young Chinese Australians. My name is Wang. I'm a journalist and a former Chinese international student. I'm recording from Gadigal country.
1: I'm Mark, I'm a fresh out of uni graduate and a young Chinese Australian. I'm recording from Wurundjeri country.
0: In each episode, we will explore a theme that reflects the daily life of a young Chinese person living in today's Australia.
1: And today we're talking about something that many people might feel like they can relate to, making friends once you leave school or university. Wing, this was your idea, so why do you want to make an episode on this?
0: Well, Mark, you've heard a lot from me as my friend, but for those who don't know, I moved from Melbourne to Sydney in November last year alone, and it has been a very exciting but also challenging experience. I don't have any friends in Sydney, so I have to put myself really hard to find friends. But because of the Omicron wave in Sydney in November, I had to stay at home and turn online to find friends. So I have to go to apps, including dating apps, and also all those meetup websites to actually find people. And I even just started randomly DM people on Twitter to ask for friends. I did meet some very interesting people, but I also have made some really bad decisions. So for example, don't try to start dating when you move to a new city in the first six months.
1: Yeah, I've definitely heard a lot about that. Just sounds like it's been not the easiest couple of months. I've also been going through a bit of a life transition myself. So I um, finished uni last year and starting work this year, mostly online has been quite similar in terms of like, it's hard to meet people when you're just working online and stuff. And it's hard to know how to relate to people, especially when you don't go to classes together and do stuff like that. So like adult friendships and just like meeting people in general, it's hard. Let's just say that.
0: Exactly and also for all of us making friends is one unavoidable phase but as you said when you are in a transitioning period of your life stage like moving to a new city or starting a new job there are just so many uncertainties while you also try to settle in by establishing a friendship it just makes things even more complicated and sometimes friendships is not just really about meeting the person there are a lot of issues or conversations that we should have held but we try to ignore for example age and race.
1: So today's episode is all about adult friendships and the questions that we're going to talk about today I guess how are young Chinese Australians navigating early adulthood? How do we find or stay in touch with people, make connections or establish friendships? And what role do identity and lived experience have to play in all of this? We'll be unpacking these questions with two guests today. First up is Maggie Zhou, a Melbourne-born Chinese-Australian influencer and writer at Refinery29.
2: Hi, Wing and Mark. Thank you so much for having me here today. I'm very excited to unpack all these delicious topics with you.
1: Yeah, we're excited too. Uh, We're also joined by Qi Zhang, who is a Chinese international student who came to Melbourne to study when he was 17 and recently moved to the US to study acting.
3: Hello, Maggie and Mark and Wayne.
0: It's so great to have you two and especially you, Maggie. So for our listener, there is a story between me and Maggie. We actually have known each other for a long time because we followed each other on Twitter, but we have never met each other in real life until recently. Because last month I went back to Melbourne and I DM'd Maggie and asked if she's interested in a catch-up. And then we had a talk and then we talked about how nowadays young people like us actually just make friends by social media. Is there also something common for you, Maggie, or am I just being the weird person who give you, send you the DM?
2: <laughs> no, for sure. I have made my fair share of friends from social media. It all started when I was embarrassingly and scarily young. At about 12 years old, I was on One Direction Twitter and met up with people at that age without my parents' knowledge. Still to this day, they do not know. But even to now, that's how I've made a lot of my close friends from Instagram predominantly nowadays as well. So a cheeky DM slide doesn't go amiss. I think it's totally proper online etiquette nowadays unless you're someone creepy then don't do it please
1: no I was gonna say I feel like you know I can relate in terms of like I feel like that's also the case with me and Chi right like we've known each other for about three and a half years maybe but hung out probably only like a handful of times I feel like I know more about you basically through just keeping up with you on social media and stuff like that do you feel like a lot of friendships work like that these days
3: yeah definitely I was actually having a conversation with my friend yesterday she told me that most of her friends how she keep in touch is just seeing each other's social media posts and then they talk for a few days in a row and then stop talking and then later coming back, you know, t- start talking again. Yeah. I think social media is a way like to update your life to acquaintances or to your friends without even asking. So you more, the more you see that person, the more you just feel like, Oh, okay. I know that person seems interesting. So yeah.
1: Do you feel like social media has played like an important role? I mean, in the last few years of the pandemic, but also just like moving around the world?
3: Yeah, definitely. Because I just moved to the US and my close friends are still in Australia. So we just, we FaceTime and otherwise I just felt like we might even lose touch.
0: Talking about this term, close friends, it actually reminds me of the Instagram feature, close friends, where you can just select this group of people and then Only this group of people view those special stories. They will be in the green circles. Do you also have a close friends list? Maggie, I would like to ask you first since you actually have a really big follower on your Instagram account.
2: Oh that's nice. It was nice that Mark referred to me as an influencer as well. <laughs> I I can't help but laugh at that. Um but I'll take it. Um so yeah, I do have um over 20k followers on Instagram and unfortunately, I am terrible at using the close friends function as what it should be, which is just like a shit posting, you know, outlet where you can post funny memes or funny moments from your life or just things not appropriate for the public. And for some reason I do not know what happened, but I have over 200 people in there. I don't know who they are, and I'm very nervous to post in there. Um, On the other hand, I have friends who properly utilize it, and they've got less than 20 people in there, and it's really much like a private diary. They say that themselves as well. They blast their most private feelings and their breakdowns, and it's great entertainment. But I am wanting to cull my list. (laughs)
1: Makes total sense. I think of that as how I think about Snapchat sometimes because the number of people you snap these days are extremely, extremely limited, which gives you a false impression of how many people are actually on your Snapchat. And then you post something on your story and everyone from your high school has seen it and it's like, you actually can't do that.
2: You still use Snapchat, Mark?
1: That's the thing for like three or four people and that's it because that's just how we've communicated growing up. I wanted to flip the same close friends question to you, Chi, because I feel like the gays use it differently. (laughs)
3: Oh my God. I was just going to say, I think it depends, really depends on the, who uses it. So for gays, I have friends, they add, they add me to a close friends list. And then just, I just seen their nudes. It's like, interesting. I've never met you, but I've seen your junk. Great. Love. Lovely. And then I also have friends sort of, I, I was a bit surprised they add me on their close friends list. So I think uh, for me, a uh, close friend list, I guess it's like, I just shit post and then I add people who I think they could understand my humor, not necessarily close friends.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Although I guess in general, I feel like it's pretty safe to say that social media is a bit of a minefield these days. Something that I'm curious to come back to, though, is this idea of close friends. Maggie, for example, do you feel like your close friends list on social media or whatever reflects your close friends in real life?
2: It's an interesting one because some of my closest friends don't even have social media. They don't even remember that I have it. Like it's it's really quite weird that I think worlds are a little bit blurred. So, yes, there are definitely friends of mine that are super hyper online, like myself. We spend too much time on TikTok, etc., and a lot of our conversations revolve around that but refreshingly so I have so many friends that just are not online at all like okay she's not my friend but Selena Gomez just recently said that she's been offline off the internet for four years I mean I could never but you know what I mean there there are people out there like that and I definitely have my close friends like that too so I'd say that the internet isn't always the best reflection of in real life close friends list
3: yeah yeah I think definitely for me too. I think for me, social media is really performative. Like it really depends on how I present myself. I can present myself however way I want. And then normally um, in person, I'd be like more awkward. Yeah, for Instagram, close friends. I feel like it's more like people you feel comfortable with, like online, but necessarily, not necessarily meeting up. I feel like I have some friends Like that, I feel really close. But sort of like in in real life, close friends, it's it's different.
0: I kind of want to talk about these next questions from social media. I know both of you are kind of in this transitioning period. See, you moved to US and Maggie, you started working, I think it's the second year, right? How is it like, Maggie, for you? Is it easy to make friends when you become a full-time worker or is it actually harder?
2: Hmm. So I don't know if I'm being naive here, but the thing is my definition of a friend is so loosey goosey. Like we we only need to have one conversation and I'll call someone my friend. So you know what? Until you ask me that, I haven't really interrogated it, but for sure it's different. If you're not going to uni or you're not going to high school anymore, you're not being forced to be in the same room. It, like just as impolite as that might be, it's almost like you're forced to be in the same environments as these people. Therefore, you bond with them. It's like you have no choice. But with work, it's, a, it's such a weird, weird environment to be in. I'm still wrapping my head around like corporate culture and random acronyms like POC is not person of color it's point of contact and that that threw me a little bit so I think you know the the area of friendship kind of has to navigate a whole new terrain and that is corporate culture and the way that people are online so like it is harder but it's not impossible I don't think I think I have cultivated some nice nice relationships in my time
0: How about you, Chi? Is it easier to make friends when you move to a new city?
3: In the beginning, when you were talking about how you move to a new city, you start to date. And then when I just moved to New York, and then people um, are telling me this, they have a saying, never date someone who just moved to New York, they'll become a hoe. They just want to sleep. Oh, that's generally true. But anyways, so I think when I was in in uni, I I love to make friends. I go out to the parties to you know, student union, I just want to meet people, put my face out there. And now I feel like I changed a lot. i become more introverted. So I don't really actively seeking out, making friends. I just, I attract people. I just like sit there and then whoever come to my life, I think. Yeah.
0: Do you feel is that because you are getting older and you are not at the age that you want attention? <laughs> I
3: still want attention. I want a lot of attention. I never stop wanting to have attention. Oh, I just feel like now I, I know more about myself. I, I know making friends is not really my priority right now. But I feel like I'm really lucky. I made some fr- really close friends through uni. And now I feel, I feel really content.
0: Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Like you said, making friends is not your priority. So what is your priority then?
3: Oh, my work, my career, I have none of those. So I don't know, I just... 'Cause when I was seeing uh, uni, maybe the first year or two I felt I felt really lonely. And I really wanted to make friends. I put myself out there and then I think a lot of people didn't we know each other, but sort of there's a saying like a friend of all is a friend of none. And then I think that was that's really true. And then after I graduate, I sort of have like maybe a, like maybe two or three really close friends. I just feel that's enough. The question that
1: I had on my mind, I guess, was did you find it easier or harder to make friends when you're in America compared to when you first came to Australia? But I'm not sure it sounds like that's the right question, because your goals and intentions were different at the two stages, right?
3: So I felt like if I moved to New York when I was like 18, I would just want to go out and meet people. But right now, I kind of just like, you know, friends will come. Do you feel like people
1: in New York or in America are more accepting of you, whether that's as a queer person or as a Chinese person or then people in Australia,
3: I think people in Melbourne, Australia are so much nicer here. When I just moved here, I just felt like everybody's dead inside or like either angry, I think a lot to do with COVID and a lot to do like here, the retail workers, they paid so little. So like, they don't really like, they're not happy with their job, So they don't really like talk to you. But if you go to like grocery store and stuff in Australia. They'll say, hey, how are you? You know, have a conversation here. I ask them for any recommendation. They're just like, no. But there's lots of interesting people here. You never know who the, like, the person will meet. It's really cool.
0: That's a really interesting experience to hear, Qi, when you talk about like people in Melbourne are nicer. Maggie, you grew up here. How do you feel about making friends in high school and in comparison with uni?
2: It's an interesting one because obviously this podcast focuses on Chinese Australian identities. And I found that race was an interesting card that came to play in like making friendships in both high school and university. So in high school, I was very, very, very much always the token Asian in my multiple friendship groups. That's not to say that there weren't other people of color in those groups, but I was the only Asian person. And That was an interesting experience because I never felt fully, fully comfortable. That was until the last couple of years of high school when um, a few token Asians from different friendship groups came together and we all kind of found each other and had that very interesting experience of being the token Asian um, in predominantly white spaces because obviously that is still different to just being an Asian person, right? Like we had grown up in this country and it was really lovely when we found each other because it almost felt like a jigsaw puzzle coming together. Like, oh, okay, here's comfort. Like here's contentment.
0: I'm very curious. So what would you talk about when you're meeting like your token Asian friends? <laughs>
2: like our race or our ethnicities aren't even that central to our conversations you know we're not meeting up and being like so what collective trauma do you have that's just kind of like background noise it's anything and everything right I just feel like there's this weird unspoken level of comfort that kind of I guess is the undercurrent of all of it so it could be you know just talking about our lives and a lot of the time we just talk The most random things I literally could not tell you, and we are all so different. We all like study and are in different industries, but I don't know. There's just some gentleness there, which I really appreciate. That's very interesting because I find myself a little bit different from you.
0: Like I did a reflection before I'm coming to prepare for this episode, and I realized that I do have kind of like a really explicit different friendship groups. Like for example, I will hang out with international students and then I will hang out with my Asian Australian friends and I will hang out potentially my non-Asian Australian French slash white friends. And I actually do different things with them. When I hang out with my non-Asian friends, I will just go to pub all the time and drink. When I hang out with my Asian Australian friends, we go to karaoke and I would never do karaoke with my international student friends. With my international student friends, it's always going to dessert, dessert and dessert. I myself am not aware of this, but until when I actually prepare for this episode, and I was like, "Gee, I'm actually doing different things with different people." Do you kind of feel that you also in this bubble? Maybe tea?
3: Yeah, uh, I don't know if you find yourself code switch a bit when you sort of hang to with different social group. I think for me also as a gay man, openly gay man, when I hang out with my fellow Chinese international students' friends, I'm really comfortable with girls or even sort of like I would behave different when I'm with sort of my non-Chinese friend group, because I know I have like a group of friends I feel really comfortable to to just express myself. And then sometimes, you know, I just feel like maybe I need to be more, be less expressive in certain contexts. And I also realized when I house with my Chinese international friends, we would do like different things, but with my sort of Australian friends, we would sometimes, you know, make art and do theater together. So it's really different vibe.
2: It reminds me of, um, I wrote this piece recently for Refinery 29 about chameleoning, which is kind of what you were saying about code switching. And, you know, the name takes after the lizard animal that changes its skin depending on its surroundings. And I think we all do that to some extent, but especially if you're a person of color, um, and especially if you're queer, I know myself, like I definitely act different with my queer friends as a queer person. Whereas where if I'm just with my straight friends or whatever it is as well, there are so many different layers to it, hey? One thing that really comes to mind in terms of code switching, and I'm so embarrassed because I might even be doing it now or whatever, I feel really, really embarrassed. There's a lot of internalized racism, but it's like I can feel myself emphasizing my Aussie accent or being Australian, whatever that means, and just really... I don't know, I've had that kind of experience of wanting to separate and um, distance myself from other Asian people, which is like, I'm so ashamed of doing that. But it's just been like this, I don't want to say survival technique, but a subtler, a, you know, a more minute version of that to fit in, especially growing up. So, yeah, that's something that comes to mind. I
3: think I have the similar experience too, even though I'm not Australian, Chinese. I have sort of a memory in mind for this topic. So two years ago, I went to a Chinese international uh, friend uh, birthday party and uh, I didn't really know anybody there, like 99% of them were Chinese and then I just found myself, became like a bit quiet and less expressive because I wasn't sure how um, they would think about like, oh, gay people and stuff. It's a bit like internalized racist oh, or even homophobia too. And then when I was with sort of my, not like, not non Asian, but just sort of like friends I met in Australia, I knew they were a bit more accepting. So I was just like, okay, whatever. Yeah, I find myself doing that at the other time. Yeah,
1: I can definitely relate to that of just like being the only person of a particular minority status or whatever in a group where nobody kind of has that shared experience. It's weird. Like it changes the power dynamic a little bit I find every time I you know see a group like that you know in public or whatever I'm always a little bit like oh bless I hope you have people that you can relate to on a different level has that been important to either of you
2: yeah I totally see where you're coming from Mark I think that's very natural to have that cynicism all that worry I guess because it's coming from lived experience where we're saying it because we've perhaps experienced a similar thing i mean the obvious one is that <laughs> i don't know if, again I'm going to say skepticism but you know when when we see the asian girlfriend and the white boyfriend which is i have to admit the relationship i am in at this moment but i'm always like oh like typical or like i don't know these thoughts that come to my mind i'm just like oh he's got an asian fetish He's got yellow fever, whatever it is. So my ex is a white guy who
0: grew up in a regional state and he actually had lots of Asian friends. And the reason why he said he had lots of Asian friends is because when he moved from regional to city for university, he found out that the city kids always hang out together because they have that high school friendship group. So in the end, he has to make friends with like people who also move to the city, such as international students. We happen to have so many Asian international students at universities. So he ended up hanging out with lots of Asian people and also here for lots of his ex-Asian uh, girls. He once like really seriously asking me like, do you think this is kind of an Asian fetish? And my reaction is that, well, but that's his experience. Like that's the way he make friends. He meet friends that he... Ha- end up hanging out with lots of Asian people and then he end up having Asian girlfriends. But for some people, like even myself, sometimes I would also find it weird over oh, you are like a white guy and you're hanging out with so many Asian. Why do you think we will have the stereotypes? Yes. Oh my God. I so, I so
3: can relate to, not relate. I so understand what you're talking about because sometimes, uh, so when I was younger, when I was dating, I didn't realize this phenomenon until sort of like, in recent years. And sometimes when I see, like, a, a like, let's say, a white guy on social media, and then all he posts on social media is with different, like, Asian guys, it just puts me off so bad. I just feel ill. Because, I don't know, because there's a extent or like, you have a type or you're, like, fetish. So, like, it's the line can be a bit blurry. So just every time when I see, like, Somebody non-Asian say, oh, I'm really into Asian. So I was like, okay, red flag. Okay,
1: I'm going to pick up on this. This has got me down this little rabbit hole of, oh, I don't even know what the right word to describe it is. I feel really uncomfortable about those white people who learn Chinese really fluently and then go to China and then pretend they can't speak Chinese and then like, bam, surprise like a waiter with their perfectly fluent Chinese. I'm like, what you've done is just like what every single Chinese migrant does in reverse. Is it impressive? Sure, but is what every migrant goes through impressive? Yes. The power dynamic is different, you know, when it's when it's a white person doing it.
2: The double standards there, right? And if someone whose first language isn't English stuffs up on one small tiny thing, they'll just get slandered for it. Like they get kind of beat up for any kind of mispronunciation or whatever. But of course, if a white person is learning, you know, Chinese or another Asian language, they are literally worshipped. Like they the TikToks I get them on my for you page sometimes. There's so many views, like people just in awe.
3: I think sometimes Asian people, (laughs) like not worship. Let's say for international students, if like we we learn English, we speak like, you know, good English and then it's it's okay, it's good. And then when a white person say ni hao, and they'd be like, oh my God, your Chinese is amazing. Also, I feel like Asian people maybe were more like, my my friends, they're all like really, uh, welcoming. So like, you know, if this a uh, someone from a different race wants to join us, just like okay, let's be friends.
2: I think for both dating and friendships, that kind of concern that we get when we do see, you know, an Asian girlfriend with a white boyfriend, or you know, in a in a group of friends I think that does come from genuine concern and I don't want to kind of minimize that but what I kind of have to check myself up and I pull myself up on this I'm like hey I'm not giving her enough autonomy or credit like she is a grown-ass woman she can decide who she wants to date as well right because I can imagine and I do see sometimes like you know, potentially, I mean, I'm not that important, but like people looking at me and my boyfriend and they they might think the same things that I'm thinking about it. Right. But I know myself and I know that I am a full adult human who is capable of making these distinctions and these, yeah, outlining this relationship for myself. So I've got to kind of step back sometimes and remove myself from it, but it's true. There's this like weird, yeah, weird stereotyping going on.
0: We have been talking about Asian fetish and we were talking about in a dating scenario, it's just so weird that we see like a white guy and an Asian girl and then we would just theoretically think that, oh, this guy has Asian fetish. But then when it comes to friendship, we will also see like oh, there's one white person who hangs out with lots of Asian people. How do you distinguish the difference? Like, when it comes to friendship, how do you feel that, oh, this white person is not having Asian fetish with a group of Asian friends? They are just wanting to be friends.
1: Something that kind of like decides it for me in my mind is like just awareness, right? Like I think it's fine if you're the only person of a particular identity in a group, as long as you kind of understand can navigate that dynamic, if you can like put your finger on it and kind of understand what's happening, then I think you'll be fine. Whether you're the only white person in an Asian group or whether you're the only Asian person in like a group of white people, you know, as long as you are cognizant of the dynamic that presents, then I think that's fine.
3: So I have experience of being like not many Asian uh, uh, white friend group. And when we're sort of having group discussions or like making decisions and I just feel like there's some like cultural differences here. And then like, we don't know sort of how to solve that problem. It's it's really interesting because if you are not like romantically involved with that person or like, you know, your friends are not romantically involved or, you know, in any way, I think for me, it's fine.
0: Since you mentioned the word dynamic, I'm going to move on and ask this question. Will you try to communicate with your friends who just share so different background from you about your experience? So for example, I'm a woman of color and I do have really good white guy friends who are so nice and so good at giving me relationship advice. But I would find it really frustrating when I try to talk about work with them because they actually can't understand why sometimes I feel frustrated as a woman or why sometimes I feel frustrated as a person of color. An example for this is that I once had a conversation with a friend about how I feel that women in such a bad position that they are forced to look after kids when they got married and have child. And my guy friend was like, I saw lots of women complaining about this, but surely you can just do it well. Why you can ace your job? You can just look after the child well as well. Why are you complaining about this? Like I was just like, oh, I'm not gonna talk about this with you on this topic. Do you have this experience? Have you ever tried to like talk about this dynamic with a friend that's completely from that's from a different background of you?
3: I, I have a story that just came to my head. So a while ago, I was working with this a group of like Australian, and the majority of them are white. So for the discussion of the accent come up, and um, for Chinese people, I think for for lots of for people whose first language is not English, we want to sound more like natives, sort of like more like American accent, British accent, Australian accent. And for Australian people, they'd be like, "Why do you want to have those accents? Do you hate yourself and stuff?" So sort of, I don't know how to explain this, but like for us, it's more like, "Oh, we want to speak the language better." But for maybe for our counterparts who don't understand our experience be like, why do you want to get rid of your
2: accent?
3: Which we, I'm not trying to get rid of my accent, but just like learn to speak in English better. I don't know if that makes sense.
2: It feels like, and please correct me if I'm wrong, because obviously I don't have the lived experience here, but it feels like these white Australians are thinking about it from an aesthetic point of view, being like, oh, but you know, an accent is purely how your voice sounds, whereas we know that that's not the case, right? It's a matter of privilege. It changes how people view you. Like there's so many layers to it. But just being respectful and I know, oh, yuck, I I have such qualms about that word because I think especially as Chinese people we are grown up to always respect your elders and blah, 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 be polite and stuff like that. But that's not necessarily a terrible thing either i'm turning into my parents um but yeah i think respect doesn't go amiss and that doesn't mean that you have to be a small person like you can still be bold but you can also be respectful
0: there is a time that i tried to talk about how i felt the fact that i'm a person of color prevents me from loss of job opportunities when i was seeking job And I think it was a successful conversation because in the end, my friend was actually saying that now I understand why you said things like this and why you always feel so angry. I don't know how to answer this, but I'm here to listen to you, which I was like, oh my God, finally, you listen to me.
1: (laughs) I think that's what it is. Just we all need to listen more.
2: (laughs) Oh, I mean, I think for me, it's been a weird flip, especially these past two years, where we've had to really be so proactive in cultivating and making our friendships. So the tables have turned, and I'm kind of <laughs> focusing on how I can actually be a better friend. So you know, to attract better friends, you have to be one. And I think I very much took some of my friends for granted. You know, you you catch up because they live close, or you you have a phone call because you're waiting for the train, or, or other things that just feel easy. But the thing is, friendships are rarely easy. And I think a lot of the time we focus on romantic relationships, but platonic friendships are just as important and they deserve again that respect the time the energy that we do feed into other parts of our lives because yeah I feel a lot of FOMO from a lot of especially female friendships and friendship groups and best friends and that's something that's been on my radar of things I want to improve about myself because I can feel like that missing when it's not there and um yeah, I think relationships are so important and friendships are right up there too.
1: We've moved into this stage of life where we're no longer making, you know, student friendships. We're now making adult friendships, right? Um, how have your, like, standards or expectations of friends evolved?
3: Yeah, I think for me, the change is like after COVID, I really sort of assess how important friendship for me, that is what, well, like how important I need to spend time by myself. Cause I felt like before COVID, I didn't really have time to reflect on those things. I kind of just kept on making friends and now I have like better idea of like, okay, what kind of friendship I want to be in or, um, you know, I have, I don't know, a clear a vision what I want. And I think, um, platonic friendship is actually to some extent more important than romantic relationship, I guess. This a story I got from my, my friends. Um, so they were being in like long-term relationship for like maybe five years, seven years, and then after they broke up and they kind of just have no friends because they've been spending the last five, seven years just with one partner. So when you break up, you just kind of feel like, okay, I'm alone in this world. So I think making platonic friendship is so important.
0: And that's why, at the beginning of this episode, I suggest that if you move to a new city, please don't date at the beginning of six months.
3: Make some good friends.
0: Yes.
1: Thank you for listening to Chinese-ish, an SBS podcast about young Chinese Australians for young Chinese Australians. This episode is hosted by Wing Kuang and Mark Yin, Our sound designer is Max Gosford. Thanks also to Rachel Sibley, Carolyn Gates and Tanya Lee for their support.
0: For more about Chinese-ish, follow us on our social media or check out our website sbs.com.au slash Chinese-ish.